God never gives someone a gift they are not capable of receiving. If he gives us the gift of Christmas, it is because we all have the ability to understand and receive it. Pope Francis The way you spend Christmas is far more important than how much. Henry David Thoreau Blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. Hamilton Wright Mabby Jesus displaced himself that we might know him. This is incarnational ministry, and it is the life we're called to. Aaliyah Joy God is so great that he can become small. God is so powerful that he can make himself vulnerable and come to us as a defenseless child so that we can love him. Pope Benedict XVI For outlandish creatures like us, on our way to a heart, a brain, and courage, Bethlehem is not the end of our journey, but only the beginning. Not home, but the place through which we must pass if ever we are to reach home at last. Frederick Buckner I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Scrooge And the Word, Christ, became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us, and we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14. Well, it was the early 90s. I was just a kid growing up in Kingston, Ontario, and it was the first time my grandma, my nanny, flew from the east coast of Canada to spend a Christmas season, like a couple weeks with us, culminating in Christmas morning. Now, for lots of us, that's like a regular thing. All of your extended family gets together, but we were like, um, you know, quite divided by geography as a family. And so for my nanny, my grandma, to come and spend a couple weeks is like the, the, the most pivotal, pivotal memory that I have as a kid, her being there. Now, as grandmas are, if you're a grandma, shout out to you, she was like so gentle, so kind, quiet, but so intentional with how she spent time and her energy with us. She was the kind of grandma that like just had chocolates out, (laughs) just like unbridled for kids and all to see and eat. Now there's one time in particular this Christmas um, that I'm referring to, I wanted a GT snow racer, yes. Amen. Let's pray at the end of the sermon. (laughs) Now, in particular, let's see if you get this one. I wanted the Wayne Gretzky white fairing GT snow racer. Oh, they don't make them anymore. So this thing was huge. It came in a huge box. It was like not the the typical like skeletal GT snow racer with just like the the round handle. It had square handles, pegs, and an, an ignition switch on it. There's no engine in it, it's just gravity. Lots of plastic, white with the number 99 in front of it so that I could remind all of my peers I am faster and better than you on this hill. 
Regardless, that's what I asked Santa for for that Christmas. And sure enough, Christmas morning comes and I see this giant box in front of our tree. And I'm like, oh snap, I got the GT snow racer. And so I tear this thing open and sure enough, I'm like, ah, oh, it's happened, Jesus alive. <laughs> and so I unwrap this thing and I'm like, I got what I wanted. I got what I deserved. And then my nanny, sweet, intentional, thoughtful, quiet nanny just goes like this, look in the branches of the tree. So I go over to the tree and I find this little, like tiny little gift wrapped up and it's a CD and I unwrap the CD and guess what it is? It's Rap Tracks 5. Rap Tracks 5, this little beauty right here. Amazing, look at that artistry. Rap Tracks 5. Now, my nanny also remembered that I was super into rap and hip hop and I grew up in a family where the only music to don uh, our home was like, sorry, mom and dad, if you're watching this, like Michael W. Smith, Sandy Patty, and if we were lucky, Petra. And if you don't know who those people are, you are doing real good, real good. <laughs> and so for rap tracks, to make it into my sweet little like grade seven, grade eight hands, I was like, oh my gosh, the gift is mine. I left my GT Snow Racer behind and ran upstairs and just like played this thing over and over and over again. And since then, the thoughtfulness of my nanny, the thoughtfulness, the intention, like uh, my nanny wasn't going around like listening to hip hop and like doing rap battles in like urban centers. You know, she was 70, 80 years old and she was just like, my grandson loves this. I don't really know what I'm looking at, but I think he would like this. And despite like, you know, what kids are normally drawn to, like the big um, uh, audacious gifts, I really think he'll like this. And she hid it in the tree. It was a moment between her and I and since then, it's been one of those like ping memories to remind me that it's not about this. It's rarely ever about in this season about this. And this series, I hope, will be a reminder to kind of like unplug us from the, the, the wall, the boxes, the accumulation of stuff and, and like getting all of the right things around the tree and framing our hearts and minds around the right things around Jesus. That in this Christmas season, in Jesus, we're reminded that hope has entered the world through love, joy, and peace. And brothers and sisters, he intends to stay that hope in Jesus has entered the world through love and joy and peace, and he intends to stay with you, with me, with us, with our church, with the world. The story does not end after this season wraps up. So welcome to our series called The Gift. Did you get it? <laughs> We're talking about what it isn't today, next week what it is, and then week three uh, what it should be, and then culminating in our Christmas Eve experience across all of our sites and location. So we are so thankful that you are here today, whether you're uh, here in person in Oakville or tuning in uh, online. We're so hopeful that this is going to be an impactful reminder of, of the story that we've been telling and rehearsing for, for centuries, that Jesus is here. Now, to get us in the Christmas spirit, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand. Yep, right now, stand. And I recognize that like to our degree of comfort in whatever way you feel comfortable, turn to somebody beside you and in your loudest, like most outdoor vo voice, wish them a Merry Christmas. Now you can do that through a fist bump. You can do it through a handshake, but turn to somebody that you did not come with and in your loudest voice, wish them a Merry Christmas. Go. Merry Christmas.
right, all right, that's enough Christmas spirit, enough. <laughs> Very good. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. Think about the impact, the significance of what we all just did. Mary Christ. Moss. Now, um, nerd out with me here for a while. Uh, linguists and etymologists trace this phrase back to the 1500s in like uh, England, that typically like a royal greeting around this time to celebrate Jesus was happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas to you. But then it was like stolen, some would say, by like the common folks, the working class that like, well, happiness is, is a condition of your mind and your heart. Like it's based on like the external conditions, whereas Mary, and there's no real good definition of what this word means or the root of where it came from, except that it's, a, it's an action word. Mary means to go and to make, to create, that it's not based on the conditions in, it's based on the work that you do outside. So think about the beauty of that phrase, Mary, go and make Christ, Messiah, Lord Jesus, mass, his celebration, go and make the celebration of Jesus. Go and make, create the celebration of Jesus. Remind yourselves that this season moves us towards action. Mary, make Christ, Messiah, Jesus, mass celebration. So what is it that we are celebrating? Something big and beautiful wrapped with a bow? Or is it something small and um, minimalist and unassuming? The answer is yes. Yeah, all of those things. Now, turn in your Bible, if you have one, or if you've got it on your phone, uh, across all of our sites, too. We're going we're gonna to go through all of the Gospels this morning. Aren't you glad you came to church? Every single one of them. But we're going to land on the book of Luke and the book of John, in particular Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 1. So if you want to put your thumb in that section of the Bible, Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the enormity, the enormity of like how the Gospel writers come at this story. Now, if you remember from a few series ago, and even our last series, we talked through like, how, how, did, how did the Bible, how did the New Testament come together? So even in the birth narrative of Jesus, as people telling like, how did this all get its start? We have four different authors at different time periods who are looking in on the same story and coming at it from different perspectives. Some focus on the bigness, the grandeur of the moment of Christ's birth. Some focus on the small uh, external details that contribute to make this merry moment. And some focus on the cosmological uh, response of the world that in inception, this was in the mind of God, the birth, the enfleshment of God was in the mind of God from the beginning. So Matthew's gospel, it's really, really interesting. Um, the big and the small. In Matthew's gospel, we start with uh, the baby. So we read that Mary and Joseph are pledged to be married to each other. Now think about that for a second. Have you ever heard that terminology before? They're betrothed or pledged. In our context, we think, oh, this nice couple went out on a date and had a latte and then he proposed and now they're just waiting until they get to marriage. Not so in Jewish culture. This was a multi-year uh, evolution of a relationship that was set up by parents. And so when you read Mary and Joseph in Matthew's gospel, you are reading about teenage kids who are betrothed, committed, covenanted to each other. Typically the male uh, family is like purchasing or adopting uh, the female into the family. And so Mary is, some would say, like forcibly or nudged committed to Joseph's family. Interesting. 
a multi-year process where eventually Mary and Joseph would be married and Mary would be invited into the family home, the family trade, the family practice, and there would be another room built onto their family home. Mary would live into the family that she had been betrothed to. But then we have this massive interruption. Mary becomes pregnant. The Holy Spirit has formed this child within her. Mary and Joseph have not had sex yet. They have not been married. They are not living together, but something has happened here. It is, the, it is the, the most disgraceful thing that can happen in the betrothal period for a woman, for a young woman, for a teenager to become pregnant with somebody that is not the commitment of her family and not the commitment, the consummation with her husband. And then even worse, think about this awkward conversation at the dinner table. It's the Holy Spirit who did the work of forming this child within her. Joseph, the teenager, knows the disgrace that this will bring his family and him. And notice that he does not annul. He does not just step away. He decides in his heart to divorce her quietly and to send her away quietly to protect everybody from the disgrace of this moment. And then what happens? He has an encounter with the angel of the Lord in a dream. And what does the angel of the Lord say to him? Oh, you disobedient son. Why could you not trust your soon-to-be wife? Instead, in the gentleness of Jesus, in the gentleness and kindness of God, the very first thing that the angel of the Lord says is what? Do you remember? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of what's to come. And he gives the baby a name in a dream, Yehoshua or Yeshua, Jesus. For God will save, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 7 moves into the disgrace through experience and a new message, a new way that God is upsetting, is subverting the systems of power, the economy of power, the burden sometimes of family that nothing good can come of this. Maybe you felt like that before. And instead, the angel, the presence, the message of the Lord says, do not be afraid. Mary has the baby. They name him Jesus. The word gets out that the Messiah has born and then everything goes absolutely bonkers. Now, fast forward to the book of Mark. Mark's gospel is amazing. Here's what he says about the birth of Jesus. Uh, nothing. Nothing at all. It's just birth schmirth. We don't care. Let's get to adult Messiah Jesus and how he takes over the entire world and saves and cares for poor and sick people. Mark's gospel just wants to get straight to the point that this is the son of man, son of God, and he'll change the world. And then we get to Luke and John. Luke chapter two, here's what they both say. At that time, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, remember that name, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria and all returned to their ancestral homes or towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem and Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. And that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared around them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The savior, yes, the Messiah, the expected one, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word 
<laughs> in the beginning was the word already. He already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot, can never, will not, will never extinguish it. Micro, macro, small gift, big gift, little details, big details here on earth among shepherds in an unassuming place, up in the cosmos at the inception of all creation, God is telling the same story. Do not be afraid. Joy has arrived in Jesus. Hope has arrived through love, joy, and peace, and it plans to stay, brothers and sisters. Now in Luke's gospel, did you notice what, uh, the first name that's mentioned in Luke chapter two? What's the first name that's mentioned? Caesar Augustus, amazing. Who was Caesar Augustus? Outside of the Bible, extra biblical historical research will show you that Caesar Augustus was the divine son, the savior of the world, the Galion, the message of the gospel that comes to the world, redeeming it and saving it through Rome. And this tricksy little hobbit Luke adds that at the beginning detail of his gospel saying, well, in that time when Caesar Augustus, the divine king, the Lord, the savior of the world came into the world, he took a census. Well, what is a census? It's a way of knowing who is what, who is where and how to tax them. And so I feel like this is a dig of looping like, ta-da, the savior of the world is in, in the building, but he doesn't know where people are, doesn't know where they live and doesn't know how much they'll owe, but he wants their money. Luke adds that detail for a reason, subverting empire, subverting the powers that be that, that in, in their understanding, the wider understanding of God coming to earth, it was to rule and to exert power, not to love and like share joy. Fascinating, fascinating. Starts with this uh, census from Caesar, the divine one, the son of God, ruler, savior of the world. Mary and Joseph have to leave, leave Nazareth to Bethlehem, to Galilee, to Bethlehem to register. And while they're there, she gives birth in an unassuming way in a home. Uh, likely could have been um, family friends, could have just been an extension of family, could have just been an extension of like Eastern hospitality that of course a young pregnant woman um, traveling will put you up, but there just is no room because everybody is going everywhere. So you can stay on the ground floor, which typically in a Jewish home, the upper floor was like the meal sharing and the bedrooms as it were. It's where the, it's where the humans lived and the ground, the second floor. And then the ground floor was like where the animals were because you know there were predators uh, out. And so you wanted to protect your your animals, your, your animals were your livelihood. So think about the, the, the image that God gives here, that there's no room upstairs with the humans, but that the savior will come into the world as lowly as the animals are in a home, guest at someone else's house, a guest in the world, brilliant. Then nearby, common shepherd folks are living out in the fields, making sure no one steals their sheep. Later, Jesus will call himself the great shepherd. Amazing. Amazing. An angel of God appears to the shepherds, appears to the shepherds. And what's the first thing that he says to them? Don't be afraid. This is really good news. Don't be afraid. This is really good news that will make and create joy in everyone that hears it. The Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the real king, creator of the world has come. The incarnation of, of God is here and now everything will change. That hope has arrived and joy will follow close behind. Is that amazing? 
Now, flipping over to John's gospel, we pick up from John's announcement that this was actually in the mind of God from the beginning, from the inception of the cosmos. This was the plan of God. John John doesn't mention uh, the baby's birth. He doesn't mention Mary, Joseph, shepherds, uh, wise men, angels, um, you know, giant Christmas boxes, nothing. All he mentions is Emmanuel, God with us. John widens out and starts with the enormity of the logos, a term that actually wasn't a Jewish term. It was a, it was a Greekified term that meant like the, the intelligence, the mantra, the mission, the way of the divine, the way the divine orients its action. And John puts a name and a personality to it. It says, you know about the word, the message of God and the logos, the presence, the intelligence of God, it all culminates in inception, in the created moment that Jesus was there, that Jesus is the genesis of all creation, where it all began. Jesus was there, and now Jesus is here. Jesus was there at at inception, and now Jesus is here in creation. And the lights have been turned on, and now everything changes. Now God is with us, making his presence known known to us through love and joy and peace. And God plans to stay, to make his tent, his tabernacle, his dwelling here with us, with the lowest of the low, with humble beginnings, the creator of the cosmos shrunk down into unassuming human flesh with parents that could have been moved towards disgrace. And now everything changes. If you've ever felt dejected or out or on the wrong side of creation, the message of Jesus is like, I got you. I know, but this is really good news. Everything changes from here. Brothers and sisters, the gift given to us in Jesus today and the reminder through the series and season uh, is, is like that rap tracks five. It's, um, it's bigger than you think. And it's smaller than you think. The gift given, given to us is small enough to make its dwelling, its presence, its life, its home in and through us, but big enough to change our entire lives, our entire perspective on what it means to be human, to reshape absolutely everything in the world through love and joy and peace. And it's ours to make merry. It's ours to celebrate in Jesus. It's ours to celebrate and engage with and create with as the body, the extension, the hands and feet of Jesus, which is the church. So as we start the series, but as we move towards a close this morning, I want us to ask ourselves, well, what is it with us? Like, what is it with us? What is this gift to us? As a church, it should be no surprise that we want to model the simple message of the birth and life of Jesus and then the enormity of God's desire to change everything, to change the world in and through us, literally to make Mary to continue the celebration of Jesus. But what is it to us. What's our, what's your, what's my experience today? And maybe how we've drifted a little bit. Maybe uh, in this season, you've experienced a little bit of drift, confusion, fog in your focus. Your eyes and desires have been on the accumulation of like more, just more stuff, more things around the Christmas tree, more gifts that we're stressed out about giving the right thing to the right people, gathering the right stuff around the right people in order that the right people might feel happy with us. And what happens? Jesus' gift shows us, nope, that's not it. 
Maybe in this season, you know your own propensity to run yourself ragged with gatherings and meetings and family functions and coffees and lattes and turkey dinners that you've really never liked turkey from the beginning, but you're making it for your family anyway. And all of the things get checked off on your list only to find that on December 25th, you're exhausted, sick, unwell, and lonely. And Jesus' message to us is, nope, that's not it. Or maybe in this season, you're reminded of the difficulty of just what it means to be human, to walk through suffering. You've experienced loss and pain, and you might feel even this morning that you're just staring into the darkness, feeling that there's no hope inside. And to that, I think that Jesus reminds us that hope has entered the world through love, joy, and peace, and plans to stay with you, with me, with us, even in and through pain. Jesus has not gone anywhere. As we wrap up, I want to invite us to close our eyes. And as we close, I'm going to give us just a few minutes to reflect, to think, to process where this gift is in our experience, in our hearts, our minds, our everyday walking around life. And as we close, we're going to give ourselves some time to actually like action and answer these three questions. So with your eyes closed, question number one. What are some things Jesus might be inviting you to stop or slow down in this season? Question number one, what are some things Jesus might be inviting you to stop or slow down in this season? Question number two, what are some things Jesus might be inviting you to start, to lean into, and to reimagine in this season? Number two, what are some things that Jesus might be inviting you to start, to lean into, and to reimagine in this season? And question number three, who as someone Jesus might be nudging you to invite to a meal, a drink, a coffee, a gift to celebrate, to make merry with in this season? Who is someone Jesus might be nudging you to invite in for a meal, a drink, a coffee, or a gift to celebrate, to make merry with in this season? Brothers and sisters, as we move through this season as a church, may we be reminded that this gift, the incarnation, the hereness, the birth, the presence, the lived presence of Jesus, that in that hope has entered the world through love, joy, and peace, and plans to stay with you, with me, with us. In Jesus' name, and together we all said, Amen.